Hi everybody, Tyler here. So before the episode starts, I just wanted to say that we ended up running into some technical difficulties that weren't caught until uh, basically way too late. So about halfway through the episode, Zach's volume unfortunately cuts about in half. Uh, it seems like I was still able to hear everything when I went through it, uh, but we're extremely sorry if it causes any difficulty on your guys' end. We fixed the problem. Shouldn't happen again in the future. Hopefully you guys still enjoy. See you inside. General Nerdery. Welcome to General Nerdery, and we are your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. GN is a podcast where we talk about whatever nerdy stuff crosses our minds. And between the two of us, that is a lot of nerdy stuff. This is true. There is pretty much nothing that we can't at least stumble through when it comes to nerd conversations at this point. We will try to narrow it down as best we can. (laughs) Uh, Every once in a while, though, we're going to have to go a little bit broader. I think today we're just sort of going to talk about Marvel once we get deep down into the episode. But before we get there... How was your week? I was pretty good. I uh, didn't have anything too exciting happen. It's that kind of fall era where I'm taking naps more than anything else. I'm starting up to hibernate. Uh, let's me get through some books, though. Nice. Nice. What about yourself? I was sick for a couple days of the week. So uh, it was one of those weird ones. Like, I felt really kind of guilty about it because as long as i was like sitting still and not doing anything mm-hmm. I, I pretty much just felt normal oh i had that a couple of weeks ago but like as soon as i got up and started expending energy it was just puke city so i ended up just like sitting on my ass and playing a lot of assassin's creed so that was, was nice great. i yeah. haven't played since black flag what are we up to at this point oh odyssey that's the Greek, uh, Greek one? one. Okay, I see the ads still. Uh, Origin. I haven't played Origins, but Origins, from what I understand, is a l- quite a bit like Odyssey. Mm-hmm. These two have absolutely breathed new life into the series. Uh, I've always been a fan, and uh, it's the play style is quite a bit different than the old ones. Oh, it's cool. a little bit different, weirder to get used to at first. But it's just this beautiful open world. As long as I can climb up silly things and jump off of them at the same time, then I will probably be happy with an Assassin's Creed game. Well, it's that and a bit more RPG than the earlier ones. Oh, nice. Especially with, like, the, your gear and shit, so it's cool. And, like, skill trees and, yeah, it's dope. Um, I don't know. I ended up just doing a lot of that, though, just trying to recover. So that was yeah. my week. Anyway, I think... I don't, should there's it's been a couple of weeks since we last talked a, a bit of news has happened I well, didn't, uh, what happened right now blizzcon just happened if i remember blizzcon Blizzard just Con. happened uh i didn't really get much from that other than hong kong protests outside which yeah. blizzard has brought down on themselves. yeah blizzard has not had a great month with that um i know they announced a diablo 4 but i haven't at this point, I think that's just try to keep people happy. <laughs> please, please pay attention to something else. There's a few things, because it's been, it's been a couple weeks. I don't think I can, We're not going to go over absolutely everything. Uh-huh. Some of the things is more just like, hey, this dropped. Did you see it? Okay. But I got some news. I think the big, the big thing is, and sets up some of the other news, 
Benioff and Weiss shot themselves in all of the feet with their appearance at um, Austin Film Fest. And then turns out they're dropped from the Star Wars project. Yeah, I heard they were dropped from the Star Wars project. I haven't heard anything else. What what went down? <clears throat> well, they so this is a little so this is a little conspiracy theory, and just throw it out there because nobody knows exactly what goes on with some of these. We're a nerd podcast talking about rumors. Conspiracies yeah. are the best. These millions and millions of dollar deals, right? Mm-hmm. Supposedly they've actually been axed since May. Oh, wow. Wow. That's And they've been sort of keeping it on the hush-hush, waiting for a good time to drop it. Now, it might just be coincidence, but the time they dropped it, the the news that they are no longer on the project Mm -hmm. was the day after they uh, appeared on a panel at the uh, Austin Film Festival. What was the panel? Uh, I think it was just like a &A, Q&A, actually. I don't know if it was like a panel panel, but... There was a, a live tweet of what some of their answers were for some of how Game of Thrones went down. And it's just adding fuel to the never-ending hate of fire for Season 8. Were, were they defending it still? Or? Not really defending it, but uh, I'm going to try to pull some. I should have I saved some of these individual a little bit better. but uh, We're still a little new at the prep side of this. It's true. Uh, there's a lot of reactions to it across the board. Some of it because they make themselves sound really inept and you get to find, you find out why some things were never considered in the first place. And some of it is because it really shows off, uh, their entitlement and the fact that they were allowed to do this in the first place. They were basically allowed to fail all over the place and, and keep going. Well, I mean, uh, they, a few years ago, they were basically written off as we can do no wrong. I'm sure that has to be a fun horse to fall off of. The pre-meeting with George R. R. Martin was questioning their bona fides, and David said, we didn't really have any, we had never done TV, and we didn't have any. We don't know why he trusted us with our life's work. <laughs> oh, God. With his life's work. <laughs> uh, when they were talking about the pilot, uh... They said they acknowledged that they have no idea why after such a dismal pilot, why they went forward. Everything we could make a mistake in, we did. Script, casting, and costume. They think HBO went forward with it because they had already made a lot of money on foreign pre-sales. Wait, so there was did a, they do a pilot before the there pilot? There was a pilot before the pilot. Oh, okay. Um, some of the, um, I know Catelyn uh, Stark was recast. I'm not sure the other... I've never watched it, but I know, like, it's been seen. It's not good. I've, I, it is known. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I fell out of the series a couple years ago, shortly after Joffrey died, and I was like, mm. I was watching this show entirely to watch a 12-year-old fucking kick the bucket. That is not saying great things about me. Uh, Dan is saying that it was basically an expensive film school for him and Dave. Oh, God. They had no idea how to work with costume designers, and it was a huge learning experience. You know... <laughs> they they hit the jackpot if they weren't sure how to deal with costume designers and still got everything they got for that show. I will say that that show was gorgeous. Uh, Dan said he let the actors redefine the roles, especially Maisie, and they began writing for the actors. It's like the actors moved into the house and redecorated. They learned about the characters from the actors. When done on purpose, that could be smart. 
Yeah, it sounds like it's uh, based on some of their other comments is because they didn't actually understand the characters. <laughs> Man, there there is a level of confidence in your success going into a conversation with that. Uh, Dan wanted to remove as many fantasy elements as possible because, quote, we didn't just want to appeal to that type of fan. They wanted to expand the fan base to people beyond the fantasy fan base to, quote, mothers and NFL players. That worked. God, these guys tripped into success. <laughs> uh, there's a couple things, though, where I, I kind of applaud, like, the, the battles got better throughout the series because they kept their core crew together and just kept all learning from each other and figuring out how to do it. Like, yeah. If you're going to keep a show going, that's that's how to do it. And so, like, the battles did get a lot better as the show went on. Battle of the Bastards is fucking amazing. But I, I think you can understand how some of these comments, though, were riling up. It's brave. I'll give them that. Somebody asked if they really tried to sit down and boil the elements of the books down. Did they try to understand its major elements? The answer was no, we didn't. The scope was too big. It was about the scenes we were trying to depict, and the show was about power. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, what was your process? We just started writing, but as things went on, we had to outline. Divvied up scripts. They didn't work together in the same room. One took first half, the other took the last half, then they would swap. They gave a couple episodes to Brian Cogman and David Hill. You know, Marvel recently did this Spider-Man book that I haven't read yet, but I really want to, where they took just their most reliable creators, gave each of them 10-page segments, and they go, okay, we're not going to tell you what happened other than the like 10-page segment before yours. They're going to put Spider-Man in trouble. You have to get him out of that trouble and then into different trouble in these 10 pages. Go. And that's all I was thinking of with that entire conversation. That sounds about... Yeah, I really want to read it, but... Um, so, yeah, they it was announced that they were dropped from Star Wars the day after that oh, happened. Rumor was they were going to do a Old Republic kind of story. I think it was supposed to be even older than Old Republic. I think it because by the old republic the Jedi are a thing. I yeah. think the rumor was for them was that it was the beginning of the Jedi. Wow, that's self confidence. Anyway, that's not happening. Supposedly, it's because their Netflix schedule conflicts. Who knows? Aren't they doing? What are they doing on Netflix? It's like Magic: The Gathering or something like that. Have they announced what they're doing? I don't know. Uh, all I know is that Netflix gave them millions of dollars to be their producers all right fair enough because that's that's the new hip thing is for these different production companies is to lock down producers for a set amount of time with big contracts uh warner got greg berlanti for like 10 years for a stupid fucking amount of money um that's working pretty well for him so far they every time he blinks he's got a new superhero show that's got a loyal fan base uh netflix picked up i don't know if he's gonna be their pet producer but they definitely picked up the rights to all of mark miller's stuff that isn't already farmed out yeah he keeps talking about making a bunch of movies from it but he's also mark miller so who knows yeah i think he is like in a producerial capacity though on those projects too so it's why he can't write kick-ass or kingsman anymore because he doesn't own the movie rights for them and he has to he can make hire other people to write for them, but he can't uh, just write stuff that they don't have the movie rights for on Netflix. Mm-hmm. If you think of like any any big producer that has a winning track record right now, studios either have already locked them down or are trying to currently. 
<clears throat> so you'll see them make only movies for one studio for probably the next 20, 10, 20 years. Interesting. It seems to come with the fact that they're also being given the reins to do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah, as long as like you're making good stuff Greg with Berlanti's it, I don't care. Doing, so um, they announced they announced two new shows that I'm thinking of. They did a Superman show being worked on. Right. You just clicked was... your notes, so I beat you to that. Sorry. So uh, we got. Uh, they announced uh, Superman and Lois. That's another yeah Berlanti verse. It makes me think of, did you ever watch Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman in the 90s? I loved that terrible-ass show, but if they bring in some of that with, the you fact know, that not brought, writing. The fact that they brought Dean Cain into Supergirl the first <laughs> season and a half, it just endeared me to that show. The Superman shows are pretty good on using old actors. Smallville was insanely capable of bringing in former Superman actors. Uh, and like that's all Berlanti verse does is bring in previous actors down mm-hmm. to like Trickster. Yeah, it's got to make Infinite Crisis way easier for, or Crisis on Infinite Earths mm-hmm. way easier for them to work on. Uh, but it will be I don't know how to say his last name, so I'm going to butcher this. But Tyler Hoechlin uh, and Elizabeth Tullock, who have already played mm-hmm. uh, Superman I, and Lois. I for, haven't seen the episodes with her. I really liked him as Superman. I liked him too. I liked him too. He didn't super stand out to me, but he had he, a he held his own in a way that I believed was believable. As Superman. He had me. the calm, friendly confidence that is harder to pull off. You can usually get the friendly and confidence, or calm and friendly, or yeah, getting all three is just difficult. So I guess to to stay on the DC side of things, uh, it's not CW, but Green Lantern. And Strange Adventures announced for HBO Max. Oh, I didn't know those were for HBO. They uh, who'd they hire for those? I thought that was Berlanti. Oh, it's not CW Berlanti verse, but Berlanti is the producer. Of okay, it. so D, uh, Berlanti's just kind of in charge of DC TV at this point, basically. Oh, nice. Um, um, and wasn't there going to be like a Green Arrow and the Black Canaries or something like that? Like they had an actual Arrow replacement show. They, that's being worked on. I don't know as many details on that. I think that was announced a while ago. Mm-hmm. These are all these are all a little bit newer. Uh, Strange Adventures. It sounds like it's going to be interesting. Anthology, one-hour drama series, closed-ended stories, uh, morality tales, and Adam Strange is going to be involved. I was going to say Adam Strange is the big Strange Adventures thing, uh, the biggest claim to fame, which is not huge because Adam Strange, but. Could be a lot of fun. Um, Star Trek Discovery was originally supposed to be an anthology show like that. Just different stories in that universe throughout the timeline, which would have been fun. With Matt Reeves, the Batman, Mm -hmm. we have a Jim Gordon. Uh, Who's that? I didn't hear anything about this. Uh, Jeffrey Wright has been cast as our Gordon. Uh, He was BT in The Hunger Games. He was uh, uh, Bernard Lowe in Westworld, Felix Leiter in Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. Oh, okay. I know who that is. And what I know him best as is Peoples Hernandez in the uh, Samuel Jackson Shaft. (laughs) Oh, God. I haven't watched... I watched that movie when it came out. 
I've been kind of wanting to watch the most recent one with the three generations of Shaft. Not like oh, yeah. expecting great things, but expecting to enjoy myself. Yeah, I, I want to see it too. Um, I'm I'm down for some Shaft. <laughs> uh, and along with that, Robert Pattinson has talked about what he's doing for his Batman voice because that is always a question. Theoretically, not deep and grindy. He said it is. He described it as piratey. Piratey. And inspired by the voice Willem Dafoe uses in their latest movie together, The Lighthouse. That you just heard me and Danny from Fried Squirms talk about. I am not even sure how to take that. Like, there have been pirate Batmans in the world, and it would make me so happy if they just did one of the Elseworlds stories about Batman fighting Blackbeard. Piratey Batman from Robert Pattinson. Yar. I'm like he's an amazing actor, especially after having just seen him in the Lighthouse uh, a few days ago. Oh no, give him a shot. I'm I'm wondering what pirate he's actually going to sound like, <laughs> and I'm wonder if it's based on Willem Dafoe's voice in the Lighthouse. I'm wondering how much I'm actually going to be able to understand what he's saying. Oh, so maybe we are going back to Dark and Gravelly. That we might be going back to Bane. <laughs> You know, I completely get why they did it, but I will always be sad that they didn't use the luchador mask in Dark oh, Knight too. Return or Dark Knight Rises. Oh, me too. Oh, the luchador mask. <laughs> uh, to back it up, sort of uh, to Game of Thrones news, they did announce one of the spinoffs while axing a different one. Yeah, they did the the dragons family one is staying, and the one that sounded interesting to me is going right the one about the age of heroes that they were midway through uh post-production on the pilot got axed did they say why at any point or just rumors that it's way too expensive oh that's fair however they did green light house of the dragon to go to series which is based on the rise of the targaryens which i don't know how the age of heroes one is going to be more expensive than fucking dragon riders well they do have a lot of the they can probably reuse a lot of like props and digital designs that they couldn't with a civilization three thousand years earlier or whatever it is uh i'm excited to see what they do with it i don't i've read a lot of the different lore and history associated with that world but not in depth enough to like really keep it fresh in my mind so I'm not sure exactly what stories we're going to be getting from the time period the show's set, and I'm not sure if they've announced what years exactly the show's set, whether it's Aegon the Conqueror or even earlier to that. So, I am always in for more genre fiction. Even if it's not something I end up watching, please just make more interesting stuff. Give it a shot. Star Wars trailer. We had, I think, what's considered the last trailer drop. That's yeah, not necessarily... I know they announced it was the last one, but they'll release little clips. TV this spots. This is the last one I'm going to probably watch. Uh, watching 15 seconds annoying TV clips to like try and get a little more is not really my speed. I remember I sat down and watched it like four times and almost cried when I saw Princess uh, General Leia. Mm. I am a big Carrie Fisher fan. I have her tattooed on my damn leg. <laughs> C-3PO made it sound like he was gonna die in it i was just like nope nope can't do that like he's an obnoxious character but he has to live forever is he gonna die or is he gonna go like triple zero 
God. I've been reading uh, the Darth Vader and Dr. Aphra series from Marvel and Triple Zero, the homicidal C-3PO and BT, the R2-D2 with missile launchers is... It justifies Disney buying Marvel as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Just Dr. Aphra and those two alone. Oh, dude. Triple Zero is amazing. <laughs> And that's what I, because we saw in the other trailer him go all like red-eyed and stuff. Mm-hmm. And thanks to the prequels, we know that Anakin made him. Yeah, I'm super curious to see what's going to happen. But I have enjoyed every Star Wars movie that Disney has come out with. I am a basic bitch and uh, will probably cry at this movie. Some more than others. I dressed as a Jedi for Halloween. Like... I think a lot of people would assume that some more than others come in as a dig at The Last Jedi. It's a dig at The Force Awakens. <laughs> Force I Awakens was fine. It's I, fine. It was fun. It's uh, fine, but I love Last Jedi. Yes, I am proudly on the pro-Last Jedi side. I mean, it's got its flaws. It's a Star Wars movie. There is going to be plot holes. That's true. Uh, I am still annoyed at them. They were like, Han Solo did so bad. We can't do these anymore. I'm like, no. Han Solo was awesome. Solo made a lot of money. It underperformed for what they thought it was going to do. Uh, fair enough. Uh, that and they had to refilm 60% of it, which upped the production costs yeah, quite a bit. Yeah, I get it. But at the same time, it was so fun. It was, I like uh, it. I like Solo. You going to watch The Mandalorian when it comes out? I was about to say, we also got the last Mandalorian trailer. Did you watch that? Yeah. I, I mean, I was I'm, already sold. They were like, we're going to make a show about Mandalorian. I'm like, done. Don't need any more information. We're going to have the Iron Man do it. Oh, my God. Uh, and then watching him beat up a couple of Trandoshans. I'm like, yep, okay. That was If this is the action we're getting from the Mandalorian, like, I was on board anyway. That's mm-hmm. the, re- the Mandalorian is the reason I ordered Disney Plus already. But I'm so amazingly stoked to see that trailer and to see the stuff we're going to be getting even if everything around that is garbage that's worth it for me (laughs) oh yeah and it's not going to be garbage everything i've heard is amazing so uh they have a whole lot of people i trust and i know dave filoni's involved and filoni did clone wars and rebels and at least a little bit of resistance like he's Isn't he basically like Keeper of the Continuity at this point? Yeah, Keeper of the Continuity and in charge of Star Wars TV, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which is, he's great at it. I'm not a big fan of Resistance. It's the most recent animated one. I don't know if you've seen it. I haven't watched any of it yet. It's, it improves a lot at the very end of the first season. I haven't started the second season yet. But it's geared much younger than Clone Wars or Rebels was. And Rebels ended on such a high note that I keep just, like, I'm comparing it to something that it can't actually hold up to because it didn't have the time to build like Rebels did. I also haven't done Rebels. I'm still in the middle of Clone Wars. Okay. Uh, Clone Wars is Way better than the prequels? Yes. Okay, I'll give you that. (laughs) Completely redeeming the existence of the prequels for me? Uh, Yeah, it's actually, I am more angry watching Revenge of the Sith now because I'm like, no. No, there was all of this character growth, and it just disappeared. Um, But I'll say Clone Wars, when it was on point, when it was telling interesting stories, was amazing. When it was, and here's the next invasion happening, let's do some uh, clones action, I got way less interested. Mm. Rebels 
didn't have the the part of Clone Wars that drove me nuts, which was just long, pointless campaigns. And it was much more character-focused on a smaller crew. Uh, and I honestly think it's better than Clone Wars. I've heard a couple things from Rebels that just affect lore that really excite me. They do some really cool stuff with the Mandalorians, and they dive deeper into the the new Force stuff than they've done before. And they bring in Grand Admiral Thrawn, which justifies anything. And I heard they mention Malachor Five. Malachor Five, uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn, the Sith Jedi Wars, uh, more Darth Maul goodness, which is weird because Darth Maul being alive always confused me. But most importantly, <laughs> they bring back Hondo fucking Onaka. And Hondo is my favorite character in possibly all of Star Wars. <laughs> what if Winnie the Pooh was a bizarre smuggler? Hondo! <laughs> Oh, that's awesome! I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to get caught up on all that. But there's just so much these days. Oh yeah, that's I'm in the Eternal. I haven't finished Stranger Things. I haven't finished American Gods. So Marvel may have learned their lesson from their Netflix excursions. Yeah, the Obi Wan show has been revealed to be six episodes long. Oh yeah, I did hear Ewan McGregor talking about like I've had to lie about this for four damn How years. How amazing! Like, is that? <laughs> No one believed him, but oh, four years! That that was pretty amazing when I heard that. I was like, they must have started talking to him like the minute that they bought Star Wars. Oh, absolutely. I mean, why wouldn't you though? Like getting him up on the phone while still signing the final contract, being like, "Ewan, Ewan, it's I don't know, Bob Iger." Yeah. Please. How would you want to make so much money? How do you want to just make you? all the money? <laughs> Do you want to just be loved by everybody but for saying yes? Oh. Do you want to make so many people's dreams come true and we're going to pay you for it? Remember how you're the one part of the prequels that consistently gets praised? Yeah, absolutely. There's other parts a, of the prequels great. that I liked, but like everyone like seemed to enjoy it. Maul. Uh, some of the ships I thought were really cool. I thought some of the world building was fine and the acting was George Lucas. But uh... Brian Blessed is in one of them. That's Two of them. right, he's boss Nass. Yeah. Oh, I love Brian Blessed. That man doesn't know how to not shout. <laughs> Imagine what having a conversation with him would be like. Oh, I've imagined so many times. <laughs> It'd be so amazing. How are you today? My hearing would suffer so badly, but it'd be so worth it. How about a cupcake? I, I suppose, I, I've heard he used to like spar boxing with the Dalai Lama. <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to that. Because they were both golden gloves when they were younger men. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. I bet I've heard that. It is now in my brain. Witcher trailer. I saw it. I have no basis for The Witcher. I've not played the games. I've not read the books. Okay. Uh, the only video game system I've owned since the GameCube is the Switch that I got in July. So, like, I have major empty spots there it looked cool it was very try hard to me but it reminded me of uh vampire hunter d for some reason and i, oh, I could see that i love me some vampire hunter d absolutely oh he is very vampire hunter d i i found a pattern online recently of basically making how to make vampire hunter d's hat i'm like well that's gonna fucking happen yeah vampire hunter d wanders around killing monsters 
Geralt wanders around killing, killing monsters. monsters. In both cases, the women love him. Yeah. Whether he likes it or not. I I have read a couple of the books, have not finished any of the games, but I've played a bit of 2 and 3. I hear good things. I, I just... like... Witchers are cool. I like the lore. It's all cool. That trailer very much leaned on the action and selling that. Yeah. If they work in as much of the politics as is involved in some of the books, it could be like Netflix's Game of Thrones. Trailers kind of have to lean into the action. It's the same with Game of Thrones. When you watch the trailer for whatever season's coming out, it's like, well, let's show you every big fight that's happening. Because uh, if they just had the people sitting in rooms talking, it would be the most boring trailer of all time. Uh, there was times where it definitely looked just like Henry Cavill in a wig. <laughs> well, you know. And there's times where he melded into the character for me, though, too, so... Hopefully it doesn't seem too much like a bad wig most of the time. Long white hair, which I thought was the coolest thing of all time in about 2003. Always looks doesn't weird. Doesn't land right, because <laughs> it turns out not many young men have long shock white hair. I dug it, though. I'm so on board. Bring it on. I'll give it a shot. I will try most. It's TV definitely... I am an easy sell. It's definitely looking to be a little bit more... It's more off the books, if more I remember. More off the yeah. books, yeah. You can definitely tell by just by his medallion, but there's other differences that you can mm-hmm. pick up. Some of it, uh, the differences, like he's not going to always be carrying both swords on him, which is book accurate, but the games probably would do that if it just... Less work to always have the two swords program. Absolutely. Yeah. And to just like change up gameplay and to make that more interesting. That's more of just making the game actually fun to play more than anything else. Uh, and then the last thing I have down is that they announced a uh, release date for Spider-Verse 2. Oh, yeah, 2022. Yeah, uh, April 8th, 2022. That, on one hand, made me really sad, because that's it's like two and a half years away. On the other hand... Spider-Verse is such an accomplishment, and if they rushed a sequel, it would have been terrible. You have to give the animators time to do whatever bizarre black magic they did to get Spider-Verse as good as it was. Take your time, do it right. And it's already been known that they were doing a sequel for a while now. They just have a release date now. Now they have a release date, so I'm wondering how much work they've even already done been doing uh, they've got to be at least well into production although the release date could easily move it happens all the time mm-hmm. yeah that's all i have for news though bucky and winter soldier Fal- no falcon and winter soldier that makes way more sense <laughs> uh launched not launched production within the last day or two i know oh and uh his dark materials just debuted on amazon but i haven't watched it yet i have a friend very excited about that it I... looks killer all I know about that was the original movie, which was the Sky Cowboy and Magneto the Polar Bear, which, without knowing anything about the books, made for a wonderful time for me, but... I know nothing about the books as well. Uh, I didn't even watch the original movie. Ian I... McKellen and Sam Elliott. That was all I needed. Like, It's not good, but it's fun. <laughs> uh, I might have to watch it then. I am going to watch this Amazon one to at least give it a shot and see if it sucks me in. So, because uh, those trailers look great. Mm-hmm. Now I'm done. Oh, oh wait, that was you. I've been done. 
Do you have anything else? Because that was a good app. <laughs> no, that's pretty much it for news. I haven't been following as closely as I used to, but... And I mean, it's been a couple of weeks. There's all sorts of like casting and shit. Other like smaller casting for like TV shows and stuff, but that's all the big stuff. We're also still not a hundred percent sure when this episode's gonna land. It'll come out so, at some point. Um, uh, hesitant of getting too specific of information, being like, "This came out today," and like people are like, "Well, I learned about that a month ago." Yeah, you're more just hearing what we think on it. Yeah, so. uh, that's exciting. Let's take a break for a second. We'll be right back. back right after these messages. So around this time, we're trying to do, I mean, I'm saying we're always doing or trying to do, and it's our second time recording this. So these are very story traditions that I am very. laying down right now. But uh, just a conversation quickly about what media have you been ingesting lately? What have you been reading, watching, playing, I don't know, dreaming about? Uh, well, I think I already mentioned it, but I'll go into just a titch more detail. Yeah. Been playing a lot of Assassin's Creed Odyssey, mostly because I want to finish the second DLC so I can justify buying the Outer Worlds. <laughs> oh, I want to try the Outer Worlds. Like it's they're not coming out for Switch for a while, so I have some time to finish my games. But not that I don't love Odyssey, but I'm really excited for Outer Worlds, and I just can't make myself throw down that money until I finish <laughs> this other thing I've I already spent a lot of money I'm not allowed for. to buy new video games until I have paid off quite a few things, including finishing playing the video games I have. Uh, I, I know it's the Greek one. Is it like Greco-Persian Wars? It's, uh, it's a little bit in the aftermath of... So your grandfather was supposed to be Leonidas. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's so how like far away you are from two afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you're just a mercenary going around. I'm currently just trying to finish off the second DLC, where it gets very both super like weirdly fantasy and super sci-fi all at once. I am in. Uh, because if you know Assassin's Creed at all, you know that you're in the Animus. Your character is in the Animus, mm -hmm. so they're all just they're reliving through somebody in the past as a simulation. In the Animus. The character they're they're living through, in my case, Alexios, because I didn't make a Cassandra run through yet. I might just and go just through the story to see what it is, but has ran into one of the the forerunners, the Isu, mm -hmm. and inside the inside your human made animus simulation, which is already implied, our existence is already implied to be within one of their simulations to begin with. So at this point, you're like simulation within a simulation within a simulation? She makes a simulation for Alexios to go into a simulated version of the Greek underworld for him to interact with the different Isu and learn how to not be corrupted by uh, an artifact that he's been entrusted with. Good fucking God. And this is some Rosencrantz and Guildenstern <laughs> dead shit right here. And it's also that uh, Layla the person who's controlling uh, Alexios, mm -hmm. can learn that same resistance against corruption because she's now been entrusted with that same artifact. I just killed Cerberus. Assassin's Creed has gotten way more complicated since I last paid attention to it. So amazing. <laughs> I love this series. It's so extra, but extra can be good. I love this series. I love that I just had to spend five minutes explaining that. <laughs> Just to say, I just got done with Elysium. 
that was interesting. Persephone's a little bit out there. She's a controller. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, that's mostly what I've been up to, though. I've also been trying to keep caught up on all the CW shows, because they're all back for the most part, and not being entirely successful, but I am entirely up to date on Flash. It gets hard when there's, there's what, four shows now? Five yeah. shows. Yeah, well, Legends isn't back yet. Oh, okay, so four shows. I'm not even going to try to keep caught up on Arrow until it's just over at this point, and then I'm just going to marathon the last two seasons. It's eight episodes or something for the last one. That shouldn't be difficult. Uh, so I'm really only trying to keep up with Supergirl, Flash, Batwoman. Oh, I forgot about Batwoman. And I'm a, I'm a l- still behind about 10 episodes on black lightning i'm still in last season with black lightning yeah even though it's the one that i think is probably the best out of all of them it's more it's more real though yeah it's not as feel goody at all times you can't just popcorn through it all the time the first episode hasn't pulled over for being black oh yay systematic racism yeah so the show isn't always like as happy go lucky as the Flash crew. <laughs> or the Legends crew, for that matter, who have it way happy. I love that show. Let's see. What have I been doing lately? Uh, I have to I have to talk a little bit about Untitled Goose Game because it is possibly my favorite thing that I have experienced in the last while. Uh, do you own a Switch? I do not yet. Okay. That it's, may change because there's a lot of things on Switch I want I play. love my Switch. Uh, it is... For Switch, and I believe computer, it's literally just called Untitled Goose Game, and you play a goose that wanders around terrifying this small British town. Uh, I have trapped kids in telephone boxes, I have stolen people's hats, I've made them break their thumbs, I've incited a war between two neighbors, so they destroy each other's yards. This game lets you bring out the worst in yourself through a goose through a little goose with like relaxing piano music playing in the background so you are controlling a minion of satan controlling a goose yes you are just (laughs) penny arcade did a joke of how the joke of the goose missions get way worse and like steal their uh, diabetes medication Leave them a Snickers bar. Because like, <laughs> it starts out with, like, break into the garden. You're like, oh, all right. And like, can uh, trick the farmer into hitting his thumb with a ham. And you're like, well, that's kind of mean. Steal the fat kid's glasses and make him buy someone else's. You're like, well, what the hell, game? <laughs> but you are for it. The It did not slow me down the whole time. Nice. Yeah, I keep hearing more and more about this game. I'll have to check it out. It only takes a few hours to beat. It is not the world's most complicated game, but I have gone back and played it several times still just because there's something relaxing about wrecking a small British village. When I I first started hearing it, I just kept wondering if it was... Because I hadn't seen anything on it. Now I've seen it. I've seen some of the differences for myself, so like I get it, whatever, but uh, I was wondering just from the descriptions, I'm like, is it just like this year's goat simulator (laughs) it's a lot like goat simulator i think the art style is a little better because it's it's not trying to be realistic it's just Mm -hmm. here's pretty and uh there's a little more specific things to do like here's a specific list of chores as opposed to goat simulator which is just go goat it up yeah uh chaotic neutral to the maximum extent Mm mm-hmm 
Uh, yeah, that's cool. I'm gonna have to check it out at some point. I just keep hearing shit about it, so come over and play it sometime. It's fine. So, oh god, so I guess we're into our big topic for the day, huh? What is our big topic, there, Tyler? We're just gonna hit Marvel. Okay. Kind of like the history of Marvel. You know this. That was a good. That was good acting on your part. But you know. Yeah. This, no. I. Oh, most... I was said no idea. I don't have a couple pages of research. In front like, of you me. did most of the research. On this. <laughs> Give me. I. I don't really know much about the early Marvel. I'm excited to be like educated. <laughs> you came up to me on. Or I came up to you on Friday, and I'm like, "Oh, hey, are we recording?" And you're like, "Yeah, let's do uh, the history of Marvel comics." And I'm like, "Oh, I can do that." Uh, as I talked about it a little bit last episode. I love comics so much, and I love the art form, and I love the people, and so I've read a couple of books on like early Marvel history of comic books as a medium, and I am never able to talk about it. So I had to like the list I made here. I had to slash and burn down so we could fit this within you know like fourteen episodes. <laughs> how would you How would you start? What's the start of the Marvel? What would you describe okay. as the start of the Marvel story? Where does uh, this... it, we we kind of have to start with a guy named Martin Goodman. He was the original, pro- not producer, uh, publisher for Marvel. He had been running a bunch of uh, pulp books, which was the precursor to comic books. Uh, characters like The Shadow, the f- uh, Doc Savage. I don't think he had those, but that kind of, we're telling comic books, but without the pictures. And in 1939, this is a few years after Batman and Superman took off, he opened up a company called Timely Comics, and then to make it confusing, launched his first comic, Marvel Comics. Mm. Uh, That makes things really fun. Yeah, so it was, Marvel was originally a company called Timely that produced a book called Marvel, and he brought in what would end up being some of the most brilliant comic book creators ever made without realizing it. Uh, He brought in Joe Simon, who brought in Jack Kirby, who was just a kid from the Bronx back then, but is the king, and hired his 16-year-old nephew, Stanley Lieberman, to be an assistant editor. Man, that name sounds awfully familiar. Oh, yeah, who could it possibly be? Stanley. (laughs) Stan... Stanley. Timely, which started in 1939 and went through to the 50s, had like their three big characters. I have noticed comic book companies always seem to have a trinity of their top characters. Uh, These days with Marvel, it's Cap, Iron Man, Thor. For DC, it's obviously Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. Uh, back in the day, it was Captain America, the Human Torch, and Namor the Submariner. Android Human Torch? Android Human Torch. He appeared in the first issue of Marvel Comics number one. He's the cover. It looks nothing like anything inside the comic <laughs> book. It looks like just a man on fire screaming. But, like... Uh, hey, I'd, I'd buy a cover with a man on fire Oh, screaming. yeah. No, I'll get a poster of this. We can put it up in the room. Um... <laughs> For people who might not know, Human Torch is best known as a member of the Fantastic Four. But before that, there was a robot who went, or Android, I guess, who, when exposed to oxygen, lit on fire and gained the ability to fly because reasons. Hey, uh, if you're on fire. But it went, it sold like dynamite. And then Bill Everett's Namor the Submariner, who is Aquaman but angrier and stronger and can fly. Marvel's first mutant. And predates Aquaman. 
so they had kind of a fire water thing, and then they had Cap in the middle to punch the Nazis. Oh, actually, Human Torch appears in one of the Marvel films. Oh. He's, I mean, it's just an Easter egg. Saying that is cheating, like, no get out. But in Captain America, the first Avenger, uh, when they're at the, like, World's Fair, this National Fair or something right. like that, they have uh, what's clearly a mannequin in, like, a glass tube wearing a red suit, and that is a reference to the first appearance of the Human Torch. That I just I don't think they had the rights to use the character, and it's kind of a hard sell character. They might try it these days, but I would oh I would so try for Android Human Torch these days. That'd be so <laughs> great. I'm actually real excited about this era of Marvel movies because they're like, well, we've done the big ones. Guess it's time to go to the weird ones. These characters lasted through. The 40s, for the most part, Captain America was ridiculously popular. He was punching Hitler in the face a year before we even entered World War II. Yeah. Um, Punch Nazis. And in comics these days, these three characters formed the basis of a team called the Invaders, which was kind of an Avengers of World War II, but that didn't actually happen until, like, the 70s. That was a a retcon story. Uh, I think they might have been, like, the allies or something. I know all their sidekicks made the young allies. Uh, none of this super important. I just... Comics are interesting. Uh, so many teams. Most of these people left to go fight in World War II. Because, you know, in the 40s, if you were 18 to 30, you were going to end up in World War II. It was the only time Stanley wasn't a publisher... Working as a publisher or editor at Marvel... From 1939 to somewhere in the 80s. He was working with the company at least up through the 90s. Right. And then after World War II, when the uh, superhero stopped selling as much. Because before that, you know, leaving the Great Depression, entering World War II, these larger-than-life characters that could be inspiring sold, like, gangbusters. People loved them. Marvel Comics 1 sold 800,000 copies in a world where there was so many comic books coming out, a good-selling comic book these days will send or sell around 100,000 copies, just to give reference. Um, that's good-selling. Yeah, that that's uh, decent, at least. Mm-hmm. I think Civil War, which is probably the biggest comic Marvel came out with in the last two decades, was 500,000 to a million, so like 80,000 copies... 800,000 copies, I think, was incredible. Like, unheard of. But after World War II, people were less interested in the larger-than-life superheroes and the kind of mythic approach and uh, stopped buying superhero books. So they kind of shuffled off. Um, Martin Goodman, the, the publisher talked about, had a kind of sleazy strategy of he would have, like, 15 different companies... All with different names, but all set in the same place and all with the same employees. So he could just... I'm not even sure why it might have been a tax evasion scheme. Like, here's six smaller companies instead of one big company that that you should actually be paying attention to. Um, Oddly enough, they were located in the Empire State Building, which is kind of awesome. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I don't know enough about New York to know how affordable that actually was back then, but, like, that's... That's where the shadow lives, man. Like, and, and it's the Empire State Building. Yeah, it, it's just iconic. Uh, timely folded in 19... 
50, which was kind of a dark age, the end of the golden age of comic books. No one was really buying. In the first half of the 50s, the best-selling comic book was Richie Rich. So let's really like drive home how dark a period that was for reading comic books. I mean, I've read me some Richie Rich. Yeah, I did but... too, but I'm not going to pretend that it's like should no. be a high-selling book. And they switched the name from Timely to Atlas, which was the name of a publishing group that uh, Goodman owned. I think he was just not getting enough, not getting enough out of it. Uh, the last two issues Timely published were Captain America comics, but it was like a Captain America presents. So Cap would be in the like first page, being like, "Let me tell you a story," and then shifting to a horror comic book. Uh, Atlas was a company. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have great claims to fame. They were pretty openly like, well, whatever sold well somewhere else or on TV, we'll do we it. would make it. Horror comics, Western comics, uh, romance and monster comics were like their real bread and butter. But they weren't making super good stuff. They weren't making super memorable stuff. They Bible were making stories. okay stuff for cheap and just, just slinging it out there. Um, the only real notes of reference I have for Atlas is around 53, 54, they tried to relaunch the new age of superheroes and they were just a couple years too early. They did Captain America, Human Torch and Namor again, which is only noteworthy because Bill Everett came back to do Namor again. And he did it Namor from the like early forties through the seventies. That man wrote that one character okay. forever. And then the Cap book, which was awful was written by Stanley with art by uh, John Ramita Sr. Those two would go on to do one of the longest running, like, single creative team runs on a book. They did, like, 100 issues of Amazing Spider-Man together. Oh, wow. It okay. only got beat, like, 10 years ago, a number of issues. And I think it's still in, like, top three of one creator team run. But this is their early work. It's not that memorable. It ended up just dropping. I don't quite understand why because this is business stuff but instead of publishing their own books where they were publishing like 40 50 books so it didn't matter if they weren't great they were cheap uh and each one brought in a little bit of money something went wrong and suddenly they were only able to publish like eight to ten books and they had to publish them through dc so dc's like no we're not gonna let you be big you're like the competition uh and the company was basically folding and Jack Kirby has a story, and I should say Stanley disputes this before, but all of comic book history, it was a bunch of old guys at Comic-Cons talking about stuff that happened 50 years before. So who knows what's true and not. Of Jack Kirby describes walking into the office while it's almost being like stripped down for parts with Stanley crying, because he's like, I think by that point he was 30, but still. Mm -hmm. uh, being like, oh my god, we're screwed. And Jack, Lee, Jack Kirby being like, hi, I'm Jack Kirby. I'm going to save your company now. Let's make some comics. And really, they were just a year or two too early. Because I think it's in 1955. Marvel, not Marvel, DC launches the Barry Allen Flash comic. Okay. Uh, and starts what's known as the Silver Age of Comics at this point. Um Somewhere around the same time, Atlas switches to the name Marvel. Uh, but they don't do superhero books for another couple years. And his comic book historians call it the, the pre-hero Marvel era. It's still romance books uh, and monster books. I think it's where Groot first appears, actually. Oh, uh, 
from yeah i've read that comic it's not great but it's funny when you look at like groot the lovable x. i am groot versus yeah. like the monarch of planet x yeah um yeah he's like this tree creature from planet x yeah and he just attacks the earth and people scream a lot and then he's chased off somehow it's it's very classic horror comic-y uh and then the legend is martin goodman was having a golf session with the guy who was running DC. I don't know that guy's name. Not important to this. And the guy, and they had just launched Justice League. Mm. And it was selling like gangbusters. This guy was just making money hand over fist. And Martin Goodman, who always wanted to make money hand over fist, <laughs> was just like, hey, Stan, make me a superhero team book. And he originally looked at pulling together the three characters again, the Captain America, Human Torch, Namor, making a team book out of that. But he wasn't that interested in that book, and he had tried it a few years back, and it hadn't worked very well. Right. And so he's going home, and he's trying to figure out what to do, and his wife, Joan, and we... People who enjoy Stanley have so much to be thankful to, to Joan Lee. To Joan. She was like, well, you don't think it's going to last. You're trying to get out of comic books anyways. Just make the book that you would want to make, that you would think would be interesting. And so he sits down, and he creates Fantastic Four, issue one. Uh, where the characters only sort of like each other. They hold grudges ranging from you transform me into an angry rock monster to, like, you drank the last soda. Uh, <laughs> they're they're kind of dicks to each other, but they're also a family. They have real problems as opposed to Batman's fighting crime because his parents are dead, but his life is really sweet in, like, yeah, the early like, 60s amazing. comics. It was... It was chills. Uh, Superman is somehow making a great living being a news reporter. They didn't have real world problems. The Fantastic Four gave them real world problems. And he's like, well, it'll be fun. And then it lasted. Well, Fantastic Four is still going today. So obviously it worked. Uh, I think 63 Spider-Man came out. And this is really the Silver Age of comic books where... That was uh, Amazing Fantasy. Amazing Fantasy 15. It was the final issue because he had this idea for Spider-Man. And there's debate whether it was Kirby that first came up with the idea for a man with a web gun or Lee. Or there's been a bunch of stories. But basically, Lee's hanging out in his office. He's trying to come up with a new character. He sees a spider. He either remembers an idea Kirby had or he has his own thing of wouldn't it be cool to have a character who shoots webs? And has spider powers. Uh, And then... By the way, awesome idea. Yeah, no, I don't even (laughs) like spiders. And Spider-Man, I would argue, is the best superhero out there. I think he's the most important because of this issue. All of the characters that Marvel had been doing up to that point had been pretty, like... Even if they were more real people, they tended to be uh, rich or uh, strong and big and handsome. Uh, Because I think Cap was back by this point. Iron Man was out... Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, who were somehow super rich scientists, socialites. The Fantastic Four, who were celebrities. And instead of that, he did the awkward teen with really thick glasses and a hunch. Who was poor. And that was unheard of. Money issues in comic books. Not knowing how to ask out a girl in comic books had literally never happened. Right. I, I mean, and I can think back... And especially of like the characters that you keep mentioning, Cap and stuff, and what I've seen from the early appearances and their mannerisms, it reminds me a lot of like what you'd see from TV and movies in that era. As yeah, well. 
if you see like the the rock hudsons and stuff from that era that's everyone exactly was like what you were getting handsome do-gooders that don't have personal problems and their problems are like well this rock monster's trying to eat me which is a problem i am not like understating that but and you're getting done with your day at the lab and going back to like your six bedroom house and with having your rich a rich socialite girlfriend. Yeah, like, having a smoke with uh, a glass of <laughs> fucking cognac, whiskey yeah. <laughs> in your den. And then there's Peter who's just like, oh my god, oh, how am I going to pay for my aunt's medication? Oh god, I have so much drama and PTSD. And it it changed comics in a way that nothing has since. And I don't think you can add to the world of comics in the same way spider-man now did nowadays i could see that i am a big spider-man fan though so like i that that is my favorite subject it seems to me because from the superhero era on for them it probably gets a little bit more complicated because then you're also starting to talk about all these characters getting created and they're different storylines and yeah when we were talking about this and i was and... looking at this of like history of the marvel universe and i was like yeah i can do this and halfway through i went god i hope he meant the out of world history and not the like in world history i could do that too but i'm right, not training no, for that a little bit more <laughs> out of world history um in the 60s they could do no wrong jack kirby stan lee and steve ditko were just tossing out ideas and you know as i said X-Men, Fantastic Four, Daredevil, Doctor Strange, Hulk, Namor came back, uh, uh, Silver Surfer, The Avengers, Iron Man, Black Panther, that's the one I was failing to say, Uh, Captain Marvel, although they didn't really do anything with him until later. later. Basically, if a movie has come out of it and it's not Guardians of the Galaxy, you can trace it back to the Silver Age of comic books. Uh, since then, their identity for, since then, the companies definitely had their ups and downs. There's reasons why other companies, uh, <laughs> have some of their movie rights. Yeah. They had money problems later. But I think definitely from that point on, like, the superheroes define the company in a lot of ways. Yeah. Every once in a while they'll be like, we're going to launch romance comics again. And no one cares because they're romance comics or westerns or they they just don't sell the same way and they have branded themselves so specifically so and especially with the rise of superheroes kind of coincides with the rise of fandom Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways it's almost impossible to talk about that all without mentioning the distinguished competition ah dc what for you defines marvel from being apart from dc um, like what's the what makes it Marvel for you? What makes a, what what feels Marvel? Is, in these early ones, it definitely was. It's the most overused phrase, but grounded in realism, of uh, they these characters had problems. They didn't like each other. Sometimes they'd get into fights, uh, and DC later picked up on that really well. But DC is still very willing to have their characters be billionaires just at the drop of a hat uh and marvel does that a bit but mostly you know tony stark Um, (laughs) there is a more down-to-earth flavor of marvel 
uh, and they their power levels tend to hang out in a niche level that DC doesn't as much. DC has kind of two strengths. They have the heroes with no powers, like Batman, or they have the heroes with insane powers, like Green Lantern, uh, Superman, the, the really powered. Marvel's characters tend to hang out somewhere more in the middle. Spider-Man is real strong. He's real fast. If he tried to punch Superman, he was going to break his fist. Uh, Daredevil is probably the closest Marvel has to a Batman, but he still has his own level of powers that Batman doesn't. Mm -hmm. uh, so having these characters of a much more even power set, set mostly in the same town, and a lot of them serving on the same team without having to like teleport to the moon to, you know hang out with the Avengers, I think brought in a much more connected thing. Uh, and Stan Lee really gets a lot of credit for it. He did a whole bunch of work with continuity and paying attention to stuff that had happened before and not just ignoring it. Um, and then interacting with the fan base in a way that even Marvel doesn't do anymore. They would have editor's notes where Stan would like leave quippy one-liners and he had a little letter writing page called Stan Soapbox that went through the 90s and he built and it's part of what you're saying of Rise of Fandom he helped nurture that fandom he made it kind of cool to like these books instead of Superman and Batman at the time were made for eight-year-olds mm -hmm. uh, he did talk about Doctor Strange sold well because people like to take mushrooms and look at Steve Ditko art in college. <laughs> like He got it. Yeah. And he was willing to be the biggest cheerleader for the medium. Stan Lee is not the best writer, but that man can come up with a quirky origin story and then just charm you through everything else he's bad at for till, till the sun goes down. So who's the unsung hero? Everyone knows Stan Lee. Roy Thomas. Roy Thomas was Stan Lee's basically right-hand man. When, ever, when Stan Lee was editor-in-chief and got tired of writing a book, he would pass it on to Roy Thomas. Roy took over X-Men. He took over Spider-Man. Uh, he took over Avengers, where he went on to do stuff like the Kree-Scroll War in the 70s. Uh, Roy Thomas became editor-in-chief once Stan became publisher of the company. Uh, he created Iron Fist. I think he was involved in the creation of Luke Cage. He had he helped with Captain Marvel and Miss Marvel, who is the current Captain Carol. Mm. Um, Roy, uh, he created Adam Warlock. He was, I believe, the editor when Thanos was created by Jim Starlin. Uh, his fingers were in the pie everywhere. Oh, he's why we have Star Wars comics, and he's why we have Conan comics. Like, he is... He was the guy that would look for weird ideas to bring to Stan after Stan stopped making a new comic every, like, two months. Okay. Uh, and Thomas actually just had work come out, I think, last month. Like, he never really stopped writing comics. And I said, Stan Lee gets points for continuity. Roy Thomas was the king of continuity. He was the one that was like, well, we last saw this guy in Defenders 407 blah 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 and then he's been hanging out in the dark dimension like finding ways of explaining where the characters went without making that boring i suppose i i suppose at least one of the questions i asked you i could have chimed in as well please is, uh 
Marvel for me, uh, and I don't mean this in a, I love some Marvel, but I think what defines Marvel to me is it exudes more of a feeling of being welcoming and family friendly rather than DC. DC exudes a feeling of being like this weird monolithic mythology. DC wants to be fairy tales. They want to be the myths and legends. And we, we've talked a lot about, or not on this obviously, but I have talked a lot about uh, superheroes are the modern day myth. DC is why that is. Superman is Hercules. While Marvel is, they've got that, you know, Captain America is a very like mythical concept. Mm-hmm. Also, he's man takes drugs, punches bad guys. Uh, but uh, Marvel is is a much more welcoming because they they actively worked at that. Uh, and I guess yeah, I, that's that's what defines Marvel to me is the feeling of welcomingness. Because there's other, I mean, with Marvel and DC, it's most fair to c- compare them against each other. Oh yeah, they're the big two. But I mean, it's not like there isn't other companies out there. And there's other companies that have heroes with flaws and problems, but they don't feel as Marvel's the one welcoming. that did it first, mm-hmm. and that's really a big part of it. And Marvel has always understood that comics should be fun. Uh, I mean, they totally do their own grim dark stuff. There was not a comic that they couldn't put the Punisher in back in the '90s, <laughs> but it was they were aware that they were telling big goofy adventures. It didn't have to be a serious moral story all of the time, but they could do those too. So, how does your where does your history with Marvel start? My history starts in probably about 1996, 1997. Uh, I was eight to ten years old. Uh, someone gave me an old suit, uh, Spider-Man comic book, and I just dived in deep. So for me, it was Spider-Man, the X-Men. Little bits of Avengers and Captain America and stuff where I could. But like a lot of people of that age, those were the two best-selling books. Um, This was what I found out later was right after Marvel uh, filed for bankruptcy in 98. They thought they were dead. But that meant that they couldn't publish as many comics. And it was very important to them that the books they made sold. So there was a, a pretty heavy push for good creators making good books. Uh, which was a good intro point for me, I think. Also, there was four Spider-Man books a month, and it was <laughs> just a safe bet. Um, what about yourself? Where did you start? I, I mean, you started way later in the comic books. But... I went, yeah, comic book side, I start way later, but I loved the Spider-Man and X-Men animated series in the 90s. I think that's where a lot of people started. I... Back when I was uh, in high school and really determined that continuity was, like, the most important thing, it drove me nuts that people would, like, try to correct me on comic book stuff because they're like, well, in the animated series, Hobgoblin came first. And I was like, well, don't freaking care. But I think it was I, so fun. I think I caught those out of order because I always thought that he came second. Uh, in the comics, he definitely came second. In the animated series, I think he did show up first because... Then when I that, must have caught those out of order. I mean, I haven't watched it enough <laughs> to say for sure. Uh, but Hobgoblin was huge in the early '90s, late '80s. That was that's true. I think Roger Stern, not I think Roger Stern created Hobgoblin. By the way, like the guy I was talking about yeah. earlier, he he was there for everything. So that was, I mean, that was my big intro that pulled me in. 
then knowing some of those characters, especially the X-Men do the cartoon, mm-hmm. um, that would pull me over to like the X-Men Sega Genesis game, the arcade title. And I'm like, the, the characters just interested me. I thought their powers were super cool. Uh, and it was always just something that sort of kept in the back of my mind. But even when I like sort of wanted to read comics, being an early reader, like I kind of felt a lo- through a lot of, especially like my teenage years, like I was already, like I felt like I was past Marvel in a way. I had that in middle school. I I mean I went and read manga instead. So let's not really pretend that I was actually being like more cultured. I was just being a different kind of nerd. Right. But uh, especially since comics are heavily geared towards children, and I'm all for that. They are uh, comics have had proven effects of improving early reading of just because it helps kids pick up the words faster because they can also look at the pictures and get an idea of what's going on mm-hmm. but i just i don't know but there was it, a, it, there was a period where i felt I'm i kind of felt like it was beneath comics. me yeah no i definitely had that for a while as well uh and then i started reading comics again and i was like oh wait this is awesome yeah uh but the thing and so the thing that there were things, though, throughout the time that kept my interest and in where I would always, even though I wasn't reading the comics, I would try to keep up to date with some of the information by, like, occasionally going online. Like, it would have been, like, more message boards and stuff back in the earlier internet. Mm-hmm. But then even just keeping up on certain par- uh, characters' uh, Wikipedia pages once Wikipedia came around. Oh, man, stuff. in high school I used to get real lost on Wikipedia dives of... Well, I've got nothing going on for an hour. I'll look up uh, Spider-Man. And then like six hours later, I'm reading about the Blue Beetle from Charlton Comics and being like, oh, well, this actually made sense on your progression. But damn, it took me a while to get here. Uh, So like the things that kept me hooked in, though, Blade coming out was the biggest one. Oh, Blade. I always forget about Blade. I think of like the launch of the Marvel movie era with like, Spider-Man or X-Men. Well, no, like, even earlier than that. Like, kind of the Mm -hmm. prototype Stone Age era of that. Right, so, yeah, X-Men, yeah. It really was Blade more than anything else. It went, oh, yeah, we can do a superhero movie that's not Batman and sell. Blade was so good, they changed the character to in the comics to match the screen version more. Which is probably good, because he was terrible. He was not that... He was very classic folklore Dampier, which is not that interesting. He also uh, wore bright green and orange originally, Mm -hmm. and had a British accent. Yeah, no, not a great blade. (laughs) Wesley Snipes made him super cool. He also came out in the 70s. What I find interesting about this new run of Marvel movies is all of these characters are people that came out in 70s Marvel... Which is an era that we don't talk about as much in Marvel. It's not as well known because the big, the A-listers, the Cap, Black mm-hmm. Panther, all those came out in the 60s. In the 70s, you got Luke Cage, you got Iron Fist, you got Shang-Chi, who is pretty much just what if Bruce Lee was in the Marvel Universe. Yep. Um, and so excited I for that movie. do not remember <laughs> who is starring him, but I know people were very excited. Oh, Lou. Lou? I think that's his last name. I can't. <laughs> You have Blade, who first appeared in Tomb of Dracula, which was a 70s book. Uh, The 70s is when they were able to go a little weirder, because they had built their, like, level of this is what works, and now they could experiment with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
I believe The Defenders was a 70s book, although it had none of the characters from The Defenders TV show. Um, Howard the Duck, who's getting his thing, was a big 70s one from uh, Steve Gerber, who is... If you like weird comic books, Gerber's kind of the way to go. He did Howard the Duck. He did Man-Thing, which was their Swamp Thing alternative. The Heap alternative. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the Heap ripoff. The, the Swamp Thing was happening as well. And he did uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, the original team, mm. not the one with, like, not not the movie team. The Sly uh, Stallone's team. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when Guardians launched, it was a set in the year 3000 and it was the last surviving member of like the people from Pluto, the people from Jupiter, the people from Venus mm. that all formed this guerrilla group against the Badoon. This, uh, heroes who are sort of criminals thing didn't actually come about until about 2005 using a completely different set of characters. But, but seeing this like, Oh shit, we've done adventures. What do we do now? We watched it in the seventies with comics and now we're watching it in the movies in 2019 and there's a there's a symmetry to that that i appreciate um and then and then when they started the marvel movie universe it just pulled me in more yeah and that's when i actually started picking up marvel comics from time to time and now i've i've read a ton of punisher i love me some moon knight like i remember thor civil war had just come out uh, so I hated Iron Man. Iron Man is the biggest D-bag of a character in Civil War. Uh, in the movie, they did a lot more to redeem him and make his stuff seem a lot less fascist. And watching the Iron Man movie and just being so mad about how good it was. I, re- I, re- <laughs> I actually remember watching the first Iron Man movie and being so pleased with myself at being like, yeah, because before the movie came out, I was like, Robert Downey Jr. is a great casting. And you were like, I was right! And I came out being like, I was right. He was perfect. And then apparently everyone else thought he was perfect, too, because they built an entire franchise off the back of that movie. Yeah, geez, they've got to be so scared what to do without Robert Downey Jr. at this point. <clears throat> so as far as Marvel comic history goes... Yeah. You don't necessarily have to explain any of them, but what would you consider to be big tentpole moments that people should at least know the name of throughout um, comic history formation of the avengers all the intro characters i'm going to kind of skip those because they're all <laughs> important you know the first time you see black panther is always going to be an important right moment. uh there was a black panther solo series it was i believe the first black superhero solo series called like jungle fury jungle power something i would have to look jungle it up. something jungle probably. something yeah you'll find it pretty easily uh which was remarkable of it was a black hero in africa he in no point was defined by white characters in it and that had never really happened before uh the kree scroll war which we saw little bits of in the captain marvel movie uh the avengers get caught up into warring alien species and there wasn't a good guy it wasn't like the allies versus the axis it was this guy's a dick and this guy's a dick and we they've been fighting for so many centuries that there isn't a good guy in this war anymore like anytime the avengers are like well maybe these guys will help us it does not go well <laughs> um i'll give a shout out to the avengers defenders war which was one guy was writing both avengers and defenders and he's like what if we did 
parts one and three in the Avengers and parts two and four in the Defenders, which doesn't sound remarkable now, but had never been done before. So that was a really big seminal moment. Uh, and then since I, as I said, I could talk about these for hours, I'm going to skip way forward to Craven's last hunt. You know, I love 1986 or something, which was let's get dark. We've gone dark, but let's go real dark. dark. Let's make people sad dark. Minor spoiler Um, alert. Spider-Man effectively loses, but Kraven loses harder on purpose. Yeah, but mostly because of Kraven. Oh, uh, and then the most important one that I skipped is the death of Gwen Stacy, which was the end of the Silver Age, uh, early 70s. Basically, to like to understand how big this is, Lois Lane died. I mean, it was Gwen Stacy, but like, but yeah, Superman that's... always saves Lois Lane. Like, uh, Wonder Woman always saves Steve Trevor. Uh, the, the, there was never a risk, real risk that the the, the superhero hero would fail always to save. saves their love interest. And not until... only did he not save his love interest, there's a good chance he's the reason she died. Like, mm-hmm. that is the darkest story. And it changed comic books forever. Like, I know Marvel's always changing comic books forever, but, like, that was one of the most seminal moments. That panel where the webbing catches her by the foot and there's just a little, like, crack. And if you're not looking, you almost won't see the word, like, the the, the onomatopoeia. The, yeah. Uh, but just a tiny crack. And it is heartbreaking. Probably the most important thing Marvel did outside of their, like, creating of characters. So we'll we'll get to favorites in a second. Mm-hmm. So ignoring just favorites, because you want to see them anyway because you love them, who would you consider to be underutilized characters that you'd like to see more of? Like or in... something, something big done with that, like, where they have, like, this... A series that people... You know, name like Craven's Last Hunt, stuff like that. Something where somebody finally gets their shining moment. Um, let's see. I mean, we can't really talk about the history of Marvel Comics without mentioning the uh, Claremont run of Uncanny X Men, which brought us Days of Future Past. It brought us uh, uh, Dark Phoenix Saga, uh, which those have been done to death when it comes to adaptations, but. Uh, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be something to adapt. Mm-hmm. Just like who needs their story? Their story has their big story hasn't been written yet. I'm gonna go real deep cut on this one. Uh, I've got the book next to me actually. Omega the Unknown. Okay. Omega the Unknown was. It's probably the most bizarre story that Marvel made in the 70s, and considering how much acid was being taken in the 70s, that's saying something. It is the story of this superhero man who never speaks, named Omega, who appears, and a seemingly unconnected story of this kid. It opens with, like, this kid's family burning to death, and him escaping and being adopted by, like, this nurse in, like... 70s crime ridden New York and this superhero who doesn't speak is just randomly like appearing around this kid and no one can quite figure out why it's weird it's trippy uh it 
ended before it was intended to be ended. And like one of the final panels is him going back to his childhood home, the kid, and finding out that there are like robot duplicates of his parents there. And it was never really successfully explained why. Like there, it was this book that has been described as just too early for its time. If it came out around the time of Watchmen, it would probably be considered like as seminal a work. But it never really got wrapped up. They did a Defenders issue kind of explaining it in a way that didn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, but it's every kind of weird that I like. So you'd say it came out strong, but then never really got the finish, yeah, and it deserves something it was to... too weird to get the fan base. People who picked it up were like, I don't know what's happening, but I'm kind of uncomfortable right now. Hmm. And then they read it a couple of years later, and were like, holy shit. Uh, give me that. Uh, I'm so excited for the Eternals movie in a similar way of they have not been given proper time to shine of these weird space gods. Oh, always space gods. <laughs> uh, and Adam Warlock. Adam, I can't believe oh. I forgot him. I love me some Adam Warlock. He came out around the same time I was talking about and was also a very let's do drugs and read sci-fi kind of story that I am a sucker for. Uh, nice. I'm, I'm, I guess, I mean, we're getting an adaptation soon, and I've already brought the character up once, but it's because I love the character. Blade still needs a time to shine, other than, the, <laughs> other than that first movie. I liked the second one, but yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the uh, second one is the best of them, but I... Not, I mean, those... The second movie and that first movie both play on the fact that he's just a freaking cool character. Check out the current Avengers book by Jason Aaron. because Blade I mean, you know I love a, me some Aaron anyway. Yeah, you love Jason Aaron, and Blade joins the Avengers. It's weird, but it's fun. I, I've really just... I think he deserves some writer to take a real serious look at him with a good solo series. And I'm... Once again, this isn't unnecessarily original thought someone else has brought it up before but there's a lot of interesting things about blade from the fact that he is what he hates and fights against yeah uh, he kills all the vampires in the world they're still him the biggest problem i think blade has with having its really shining moment is he has eternally been kind of so dated to the era that something happens with him um in the 70s he had like the super 70s afro and the heavy glasses and the bright colors and then afterwards being changed to be the 90s look. Uh, and he looked, I mean, black leather and a black trench coat. Like, it was predating the Matrix, but it was the Matrix look. And it, it looks so 90s when you see him. It's still cool, but it's still very 90s. He, he I'm really hoping with uh, the new one that they'll be able to tap into some of the more timeless aspects of the character. Well, and that's the, so the, the thing that needs to be addressed more with Blade is that his story is effectively one of growing up mixed race. Yeah. Uh, I've never thought In this case, way, to an extreme. I've, I've never thought about it, but I would so watch that. That is, I wish they were doing a TV show 
instead of a movie, but almost anything anymore. I wish they were doing a TV show instead of a movie. I wish they were doing a TV show instead of a movie, but if we're going to get a movie and it's going to be played by Mahershala, then I'm down. Oh, that yeah. No, man I was just can... Mahershala doing a TV show. Like, yeah, I am, that uh... man can act. And he could bring, I think, a subtlety the Blade has lacked, because I I love the Wesley Snipes Blade movie, but there is no, no depth son. of character there. There is, this man is cool, and he kills vampires, and he quips, some motherfuckers gotta, always gotta ice climb uphill. Ice skate uphill? Ice skate uphill. Some motherfuckers always gotta ice skate uphill. Is, it's, um, oh, and then he'll catch the sunglasses as they slow motion are thrown in his face and put them on. It's amazing. But he'll catch whatever <laughs> when it comes down, because he throws that blade around the room. But there's no subtlety to it, so I would love to see some subtlety to the character in a real emotional look at the character instead of he is tall dark and brooding give me that give me a little bit more of that younger blade with him having to like come to grips with all the facets of of who he is actually put it in the 70s too have him grow up in the era that he grew up in the comics and then you can play with it and then you can have because he's he's immortal he's half vampire he has the long life thing all mm-hmm. to it so play with that. Give yourself the room to do it. In a similar way, if I really wish they had let Captain America have another World War II movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the, doing something in that era, because there was so much room they could have played in. You could do that with Blade. You could have... And they're doing it with Wonder Woman a bit, but the, you could have Blade in the 70s as a kid trying to figure his stuff out. You could have Blade in the 80s or in the 90s and being all dark and brooding while like everything is technicolor um uh yeah i agree i i'm totally on board with that idea (laughs) so and then just to sort of finish it off we've probably already mentioned it in some form in some way or another i mean i i bet you all can guess one of the names that would end up on my list but if you had to just name three faves well, how about this? Three favorite characters from both of us. You go a lot deeper. Do you have a single favorite issue? Give me your characters first. To give me a moment to think about that. I mean, okay, so Blade has to be one of them. Right. Blade's the linchpin. It's what keep, <laughs> it's what keeps me in the MCU. Yeah. Or in in Marvel in general, not just in the MCU. I like, have never met a man that loves Blade as much as you do. This makes me so. It's happy. weird because I really haven't read that much Blade. To be There's completely honest, Blade. There's just. The character, I love Dom Piers in general. I love the folklore. <laughs> I love that the movie was strong enough. I love the meta aspect of the character, that the movie was strong enough that it changed the character in the comics. Like I said, it's essentially, I didn't realize this till lately. It's not an original thought. I heard it from Mark Bernard in on a podcast. But Blade is essentially like, it's the story of someone who's mixed race. I can identify with that. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. My my family's both white as white can be, so I don't I didn't see it that way. But man, I'll watch it that way now. Um, plus just loving. Plus he's so badass. So the uh, the sword, the guns, the look, past the orange and yellow. The weird spinning things, and honestly, it wasn't even a bad design. It was just no. Actually, really I mean, I'm I'm kind of a I'm like, kind of a sucker for some of the stupid costumes, but uh, to go along, I mean. I'm 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 out of the two of us. I'm the closest to being the Edge Lord, so I got to go with Moon. <laughs> I got to go. With, <laughs> I got to go with Moon Knight for my second choice. Ooh, yeah. One of the places we bonded was over Warren Ellis's Moon Knight run. Oh, it was so good. 
And then, oh, this is tough. Oh, there's two that I want to say. I'm going to get four. Okay, give me four. Nightcrawler. Mm-hmm. Gambit. Oh, Gambit was on my list. Like, that is... The Raging Cajun is the most 90s thing, but I love him so much. So amazingly Nothing much. Nothing about him should work. He it, is the son of an immortal... Of, of the head of a thieves' guild that has existed since, like, Babylon, Babylonian times. Hanging out in New Orleans for some reason. The and Rage and Cajun. throwing cards. He's uh, so good. It's so cool. And he has a mullet, and he makes it work. And well, it, had a mullet, but... And Bamf, man, the badass motherfucker himself, Nightcrawler. <laughs> I love that he's badass motherfucker because I feel like anyone ever called him that, he would be like, excuse me? <laughs> that is so rude. What's your language, my friend? I appreciate it, but... Oh, he's so fun and polite, but cool and Errol Flynn swashbuckling suave. If you ever get the chance, read the Excalibur... Original Excalibur series from Chris Claremont and Alan Davis. Uh, he is one of the main characters in it, and it's a goofy X-Men book. So he really got to lean into, you know, Kurt Wagner living in a lighthouse off the coast of Scotland, being Errol Flynn. Oh, yes. And having fun. Like, yep. it is, if that's what you like about Kurt, that's really Give me that all day know. long. Uh, Give me that Kurt all day long. <laughs> Give me Kurt in general all day long. I love the character design. I love that he stood out. He was one of the mutants that couldn't just hide it. Yeah. He, he had to be a mutant. He had to be different. Some of the others didn't. Some of them essentially got to make the choice. He didn't get to make the choice. One of mine follows similar things, and I've noticed that people tend to have a blue fuzzy X-Man that they prefer of the two options. Hank McCoy is my boy. I love the Beast, and they've made him kind of a dick in the last couple of years, which annoys me. But when he's on point, he's amazing. When he's funny and smart and goofing around and super aware that being blue and furry is absolutely his own fault. I will. In that weird time period where I felt like I was kind of above the yeah. whole Marvel scene, the Beast character was the one that I identified. I, I loved Beast most out of all of those in that time period. That that love hasn't stayed, but it was the character that I, during that high school period, I could identify with because well, I was one of the smart kids, but I was also in a very small school where there wasn't much to do, so I was also a four-year letterman in football. Yeah, and that's <laughs> what he did. Uh, and I, I love that Beast is like the mutant that can't hide because of his own fault. Mm -hmm. Because... He was originally, I mean, he looked weird. His hands and feet were too big, and he kind of ran in a slightly ape-like fashion when he wanted to. But he was mostly human passing. He just a weird dude. But then, for some reason, he decided to drink some kind of chemicals that he made. Um, I think it was, like, the company he was working at had, like, shenanigans going on. So instead of just putting on a costume so no one would recognize him, he, like drank something that would transform him and then it just stuck mm. I think, I'm not 100% sure on that but it, it was basically I made bad decisions and here's where we are now which is a lot of these storylines if we're being honest but that funny and smart and but still like capable and scary is something that I appreciate about Beast and he's just 
I think, the most reliable character to put on an X-Man team and have him be useful in a couple different ways. Oh, I like that thinking. Uh, that, I... That's probably true. <laughs> that's probably 100% true. Maybe the, if you're going to put together an X-Men team, you should probably have Beast you on your team. Because he's smart, and when he gets too pissed off, there's a, a quote from Nightcrawler in uh, Amazing X-Men where he's like, even more than Wolverine, Beast is the person that I don't want to meet in a dark alley when he's had a one day too bad. Mm. Like, uh, so... Uh, which what beast look is your preferred how did you like the cat beast cat beast i liked depending on the artist okay because i'm not a fan of cat beast in any of the artistic renderings i've seen i thought john cassidy did an interesting cat beast and i thought Stuart immerman did a really good cat beast but the look was so varied they never really like solidified on what it looked like because in some he was basically just eight beast again, but with slightly more feline features. And in others, when he had like a long snout, mm -hmm. uh, it, it was just so unreliable of what it was. That was really disconcerting. Um, classic Jim Lee Wolverine hair beast is yeah. probably the most easy to fall back on one. But I like the more ape-like beast that they've used within the last ten years. Okay, he's bigger. He's got the longer dimensions again. Uh, Cat Beast never felt as agile to me as the others, and Beast is a lot of fun. In the same Which is weird, because shouldn't Cat Beast be rather agile, yeah, in theory? but he was like a lion, as opposed to like right. a house cat who's always bouncing all over the walls. Uh, but to get back to our subject, I gotta give second character to Spider-Man who I have connected to on such a deep level. And when I thought I couldn't connect to Spider-Man more, they gave me sad 4D Spider-Man that's just kind of fat and wants to eat pizza. Like, uh, every stage of my life, I have found something new about Spider-Man that I can appreciate, and I haven't had that with any other character. There is, And also, you can do anything with Spider-Man. You can do weird, goofy Spider-Ham stories. You can do uh, Dick Tracy-style crime war adventures or you can do craven's last hunt mm -hmm. you can put spider-man anywhere and make it work even if it's spider-man going i have no idea what's happening like i'm just scared i want to go home uh and it's an easy sell but like there is no character i've ever identified to more i think for my final one i need to give it to adam warlock okay because mm. he one his story is just like his behind the scenes story is so interesting and then he's a schizophrenic space messiah, and I am super into that. Adam Warlock first appeared in a Fantastic Four story known as, or where he was known as him. Right. And he had a Beatles haircut and no pants or shirt. He just kind of hung out in his boxer briefs, and him popped up. It was always like all caps him, too. Uh, popped up a couple of times, fought people, tried to kidnap Lady Sif to become his bride because he had some issues to learn about consent that he didn't understand uh and then roy thomas who again keeps coming up watched jesus christ superstar jesus christ superstar uh, he was good as they say you oh, are. i can go into that uh but watch jesus christ superstar when it came out in broadway and he's like this is amazing we need a book with this feel and he went digging through and found him 
and renamed him Adam Warlock, put him on a counter-Earth, and literally made him a messiah. He gets crucified in one of those issues. Uh, and then they passed him on to Jim Starlin, who had already gained fame from working on Captain Marvel, but already had Captain Marvel being kind of a space messiah. So he's like, okay, we've done that. What if I gave him a gem that stole people's souls and had him kill his future self and lose his mind because he knows that at some point he is going to, his past self is going to travel into the future and murder him. Comics. <laughs> like, <laughs> what if we made a guy that crazy and it's so good and then he tied him in with Thanos and it became the really like avatar of life because Warlock dies all the times but he's always reborn. He's this mm-hmm. eternal rebirth thing to Thanos, avatar of death, who's just always trying to make out with the avatar of death. But uh, it, it, it just makes the kind of comics that I love the most, which is weird and not ashamed of being weird. Nice. I don't really have anything else to add in on this part. We've been talking about a lot of Marvel. Yeah. And I think anything else means we start going really in-depth on certain characters. And, and that's we not like, what this episode's about. We were like, we're going to do like 45-minute shows. And both times, I think we're at like an hour and a half. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> that's it's okay. fine. We'll figure it out. Last part of our day. Do you have any recommendations of media, comics, books, TV, whatever. What what would you recommend that someone watch? I have one and a half recommendations. My half recommendation is just a follow-up on last episodes, and I'm doubling down on the Preacher recommendation because <laughs> I actually finished the entire series now, and it is better than the comics, in my opinion. It's you know, flat out better than the comics. I had a suspicion that it was going to be, especially once they hired... I can't think of his name, but he played Howard Stark in Captain America. And, oh, Dominic uh, Cooper. Dominic Cooper was such a good choice for that. He's got such range as an actor that I appreciate. Strangely, he might be the worst of the three. Wow. That was not what I was expecting you to say, but I am super curious. Now. He is amazing, but he strangely might be the worst of the three mains. <laughs> okay, what's your full recommendation? My full recommendation is if you haven't already gotten into The Watchmen, now's the time to do it because it is killing it. It is doing such a good job of... Uh, I don't even know how to describe it because it's not the... like it's in the future from the 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 comic story, but it is very much in the same way the kind of an alternate universe. This is two. I mean, I think it technically is at least the way that they've described it in the press, but it's not so much an all. It's it's in the it's now except in that universe. Yeah. But the other thing is is it's kind of mirroring the original story in really, really interesting ways. And they just brought Laurie back into it. Ooh, I have to admit, my favorite... Who is now going by Laurie Blake. That was the comedian's last name, right? Wow, oh, wow. If that alone signals a change in her character. Yeah. Uh, I think my favorite thing that I've heard about it is apparently some... uh some alt-right Watchmen fans are like, you're ruining Rorschach! And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I gotta watch this now. Um, I enjoyed Rorschach as a character, but anytime I actually like think about him as a person, I'm like, oh, God, you're the worst. It's, I mean, yeah, I, of 
if the alt right really likes Rorschach, then yeah, they're they're good. Rorschach is basically the symbol for the new version of the clan in the show. So it's amazing. <laughs> I'm gonna try not to get too political in our comic show, but I am as you might have picked up, unapologetically liberal, so admittedly pissing off the alt-right does feed the darker parts of my soul. Um, and Regina King is amazing. Oh yeah, I've heard great things about her. She's always been a badass, so I'm just glad that she's kind of getting her due and being able to be a badass on screen. Like, she is, she does some ass-kicking in the show, what too. What else has she been in? Oh, let me... Uh, We'll, we'll edit this down. I want to. I just want to make sure. I want to make sure to give her credits right because, like, she does the voices for the boys in the Boondocks. Both boys. I think both boys. Damn. Uh, she was Shalika in Boys in the Hood, Aisha in Poetic Justice, Monet in Higher Learning, Dana Jones in Friday. Uh, she was in Jerry Maguire. How uh, How Stella got her groove back. Uh, uh, Mighty Joe Young, Ray. Uh, if Beale Street could talk. So she's just been everywhere is what you're telling me. Yeah, she is both boys in the boondocks. Like, all the, and I'm I'm skipping over shit too right oh, now. Yeah. Directed things, episodes of TV shows mostly from what I can see. Fucking music video director, Finding My Way Back by Jaheim and Not My Daddy, Kelly Price featuring Stokely. I don't know what that is, but she did it. (laughs) (laughs) Regina King's badass. She's now getting to be badass on screen in a big bad way. She's kicking ass. So watch. I'm all about the Watchmen right now. Excellent. My recommendations, I have two comic books. I'm going to try to not always do comic books, but we wanted to talk about Marvel. So I thought about Marvel. Uh, first one I mentioned earlier is Omega the Unknown by Steve Gerber. Um, as I said, it's weird and it's uncomfortable. And there's a scene where Electro runs into Omega who's working in a food truck for some reason, but still dressed like Omega the Unknown and gets into a fight because Electro's just robbing a food truck because Electro's kind of an asshole. Uh, it, it was a book that was just before its time. It doesn't end super great, but as I said, it got canceled early and they kind of solution. Uh, if you were interested in the character but want something that's more complete, in the early 2000s, uh, author Jonathan Lethem did a Omega the Unknown series that was intended to only be 10 issues long, so it was their own retelling version. It's super strange. It's even weirder than the original Omega the Unknown, but on purpose. Uh, And then my second recommendation is a book called Agents of Atlas, written by Jeff Parker. The original book, or the original artist was a guy named Leonard Kirk. It came out around the same time as Civil War. Okay. Uh, And then Parker went on to do a couple more series of this, and they recently repurposed Agents of Atlas to be a a Marvel's Asian characters, like, working together. Oh, okay. Um, But the idea of Agents of Atlas is... They took a bunch of characters that were Marvel characters back in the day. They have Namora, who is uh, Namor's cousin slash girlfriend slash don't think too closely about it. Okay, uh, I won't. Jimmy Woo, who is kind of an Asian Nick Fury, uh, Marvel Boy, Gorilla Man, who is literally a Gorilla Man, a Gorilla Man, 
I'm 100% uh, down with the, that. The legend of the Gorilla, Mil- Gorilla Man is that if you kill the Gorilla Man, you gain his power and are immortal. But what they fail to mention is you also get the body of a gorilla. Oh. Which I don't see as a huge downside, but no. they're kind of bummed about it. And M11, the human robot, which is just a killer robot that hangs out with them for reasons that they don't even know. Uh, and it's named Agents of Atlas because they are taking characters from the Atlas era of comic books. They originally wanted to call it Secret Avengers, and they're like, yeah, too many hmm. Avengers books. And then a Secret Avengers book actually came out. They're like, we have a Great Lakes Avengers, so we don't need... <laughs> uh, but it's a... It is a book that is dedicated on fun, using kinds of characters that you don't see very often anymore. Like, as I said, old-school sci-fi robots and undersea queens Ooh. and a goddess. And a, a that sounds like a lot of fun, yes. Who fires... Four guns because he's literally the first action scene is the robot carrying the gorilla above his head running down the halls of like the helicarrier while the gorilla is firing like four assault rifles yes why not like let's do this like it's uh it's just kooky fun and i can't recommend it high enough that sounds amazing the gorilla man has me sold oh yeah so Marvel kept putting Gorilla Man in ads and poor Jeff Barker was writing the book is like we have no big plan for Gorilla Man guys like, <laughs> you are setting us up for failure here oh that's great well everything's still unfocused as we've already said a couple times throughout <laughs> this episode uh, but by the time you're listening to this just hit subscribe and you'll be getting the next one uh, We'll have social media of some kind by yeah, then. I am aiming to have Instagram, Twitter. I'm going to redownload Twitter for this. This is how dedicated I am. But also, uh, when we have our Twitter up and going, I will keep you guys up to date with what I am watching on the CW at all times. Oh, yeah. So. We'll just post interesting stuff that comes up as it comes along. Uh, just so you know you guys are gonna get just riddled with that shit so if you enjoyed listening to us ramble you can also find tyler at fried squirms that's right his horror podcast just went episode i you were recording it right when i walked in 138 138 and we have a double header plan for 139 uh you can find my art whatever craft i'm making uh leatherwork sewing comic book work anything at thumbs up the art of zach johnson it is on facebook i'm trying to get it on instagram but i am not good with social media we're getting better at that uh and i recently appeared in my one of my other friends podcast uh the art of wargaming oh that mostly covers belagarth and warhammer 40k but also is going uh chapter by chapter of sun Tzu's the art of war and how to apply that to wargaming like 40k or risk or stuff like that oh that sounds really interesting actually it's especially because i have read art of war it's a lot of fun um i highly recommend it i have a really fun translation of it actually oh nice in the meantime uh well i mean this is general nerdery so fucking stand down privates your generals are leaving the building dismissed <laughs>